Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things. It's not the good answers that we seek, but the good questions. I interview a range of different guests from many different fields, all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight. Most people don't want to go there. I go there. My guests go there, and you benefit. Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes, and as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Luca, Lucas Assad. Uh, he is a friend of uh, Nico, who I interviewed a few few weeks ago down here in Argentina. Uh, and he is an entrepreneur. He's ex-Rappi and ex-Rio Grande, uh, which was a YC startup. Uh, he was a formal, former pharmaceutical uh, entrepreneur, not really tech involved, uh, and then made the switch with Rappi into the world of tech startups. And, and Rappi is a very interesting company. I did some interviews in 2018 and 2019 uh, from people in Colombia who had worked with Rappi as well. And it's been fascinating to watch their their growth. Uh, so welcome to the show, Lucas. Thank you very much, Stuart. Thank you for the for the intro. Uh, indeed, I'm a, I'm a friend of Nico as well. I, I, I heard the podcast. Uh, it was really, really interesting. Uh, Nico is a, is a different kind of person than me. He's much more like, um, I don't know. Yes, he's my, more like uh, spiritual and theoretical. I'm more a kind of practical and hands-on uh, kind of person. But we we get along really, really well. Yeah. Um, and uh, speaking of that that practical startup stuff, you like Argentina is feels like it is a entrepreneur's. Uh, training ground, just living here uh, because of hyperinflation and because of political situations and stuff. It's just a lot of chaos and a lot of, uh, you have to like think on your feet and do a lot of different things. Uh, and and just today I had a very interesting experience where I go down downstairs and um, onto the Santa Fe, which is the big street here in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And um, and there the, somebody had thrown out a whole bunch of books and uh, there were like papers and books and lots of lots in there. And there was a guy, there was a street entrepreneur going through all those and basically taking out the pieces of paper that didn't have too much writing on them. And I asked him what he was doing. And he's like, he had started this business where he was basically taking that paper that didn't have very much writing. And then he would go and sell it to businesses. I wasn't totally clear about it, but it was just fascinating to like mm -hmm. that. You know, because there's two sides to entrepreneurship. There's there's the the side at the the street entrepreneur, which is just, 100% focused on necessity and just like getting out of that situation, making money, whatever possible. Uh, and then there's this other sort of entrepreneurship with which both of us are involved, which is tech entrepreneurship, starting businesses, which, and it's like two very, very different things, but the fundamental activities are the same, which is you, you find an opportunity and you exploit that opportunity to make a business. Uh, do, is that an accurate representation of all, everything I just said about Argentina and entrepreneurship? Uh, yes, indeed. I think that's that's really, really, really something in Argentina that you you can find like different kinds of people doing different kind of things in the streets in order to to get money, and that of course is like in a way it's like a, um, it's a little bit sad, but in the other way also it's like it's good that they also like are a lot of like opportunities going going on. I see like entrepreneurship like like, um, like both things you said about like the tech entrepreneurship and the guy that it's like on the streets entrepreneurship. Although they're two different kind of worlds, I think they have a lot of in common. Like and in the end they have a, they have a, a lot in common because 
one one of the things that I that I, that I will always think is like if you're you're if you're starting a business or something, you need to have like your skin in the game, no? Like understanding like what's going on really on not only like in a of course like if you go like from the biggest thing things to the smallest would be like geopolitical political things then to your country then in country like but talking to the people perhaps and in the case like the people that perhaps are consuming your products or consuming your services or uh, or could be potential clients or work clients that are not your clients anymore like most of the time you will find something like if you speak to them and if you go to the streets or if you like contact them directly, you will find like a lot of, a lot of insights that are like, that will be really important for your business. Uh, in Argentina, they, they call us like in, in, they call us like the street smart people for, perhaps. Uh, and if you, you speak it in Argentina, in Argentinian like language, it would say, uh, la gente que tiene calle. Which means like people that are like they have they have their streets on, no? That they are like walking down the streets and speaking to people and seeing like the opportunities going around. Uh, I feel that Argentina is like a lot about that. It's like really good in a way because you can always find like new things to do and opportunities to 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 to, to start a business and and so on. Like on the on the on the like on the negative side of that, it's like that opportunity opportunities like that. Sometimes like our opportunities of the moment are, and, and are, they are things that can, can stay there for long, no? And, 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 the, and the, like, and the rules in Argentina change, change a lot and they change like really, really fast. Uh, and it depends like on the government, it depends on the, right now we are having elections next week on, on Sunday. So there are a lot of things going on, a lot of like right now they, they ch they're changing a lot of laws in the, in the, like the ley de alquileres and those, those kind of things. Uh, and the ley de alquileres was changed like three years ago, no? Like the rental. Yeah. So it's like the, 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 like the, the laws of the game are not that clear, no? So the Argentinians all of the times are looking for opportunities, uh, in order to do a business or in order to just to survive. Uh, and I think that uh, that makes us like in the world, they make us like a, a, a really good asset in, in that kind of way. Uh, as I told you before, like the negative side, side is like, you, you cannot project something perhaps like 20 or 30 years from now. Uh, so you're like, you're all the time are like fixing, uh, small problems, uh, uh, in order to, in order to like, to survive your business. <laughs> Fascinating. Um, and you said something about, uh, the laws of the game are not that clear. And one of the most interesting things about the United States, although I think it may be changing is that the United States tries to give rapid business clarity. So they, 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 you know, they come in with new laws, the Congress passes new laws, the States pass new laws, and then they try to provide clarity as much as possible. Now it's kind of shifting to where we have these large bureaucracies and a lot of varied interests, you know, a lot of kind of, I would say corrupt interests that are sort of. Uh, uh, morphing the laws in order to to benefit them, uh, benefit their businesses. Uh, I think that's happened a lot, long, a lot in the United States. But there is this sense that you get clarity really quickly so that people can understand what the laws will actually say, and the laws change. For example, with crypto right now, we're still in this gray area where it's like, you know, if if the United States just says, okay, well, um, you know, Ethereum's 
uh, a security and we're just going to treat it as a security and everybody has to do KYC on security. They could do that and wipe out all of the United States businesses. They're not going to wipe out the world's businesses unless they want to do business with the United States. Um, but, but there is this sense of like the government giving business clarity, which as you said, allows you to project into the future. What you said about Argentina, you don't have that. Everything's constantly changing. Um, but with that constant change, there's always new opportunities for, for, um, for opportunity, uh, which is, is very interesting. Uh, and I think, does, would it be accurate to say, because I'll, I'll, I'll explain for my listeners who don't understand Latin America that well, which is that Latin America doesn't have a huge amount of startups that have been successful, uh, but it does have some big ones that were actually successful, like right around the same time that eBay was successful with Mercado Libre, like, like immediately after eBay, Mercado Libre started in Buenos Aires in Argentina and then rapidly expanded to the rest of Latin America. I was using Mercado Libre in Brazil in 2011. Um, so there are these, like, there, there is an example, at least in Buenos Aires, and then Rappi from Colombia came in. Um, and you were, you were, you, you played a part in that and you were the first guy in Argentina to really expand, uh, Rappi's business here and find all the people here in Argentina. What do you think about this, the, these, these homegrown startups that have existed? Anything you have to say about Latin America specifically, any insights you have about entrepreneurship, start high growth startup in entrepreneurship and Mercado Libre and Rappi? Uh, well, yes, about Mercado Libre, I have to say that they, of course, they are, they are the biggest and they, they started like. In, in 1999, so it was started like wow. with eBay and, and Amazon. Uh, Mercado Libre, I think it's like really successful, of course, of because of the people uh, that were behind it, but also because they un they understood that like Latin America was like like a home of opportunities for people to buy and sell their goods, and they started selling their their used goods. And people in Latin America like, well, I want to buy a, I don't know, I want to buy a new bicycle. Okay. I have my old one, and I can get a, I don't know 200 bucks for it. Uh, and the new one is, I don't know, 800. So if I, if I do the math, instead of paying 800, I will pay 600 and I will like recover part of my bike selling it on Mercado Libre. And also they, they started with this whole ecosystem where people were like just connecting between each other and selling their, their used goods. Uh, I remember not, not that long ago, like seven, I would say seven or eight years ago, I was selling like a, a, a camera and I, I was like selling it on Mercado Libre and I was met, meeting with a guy in a, in a gas station to sell it. And it was like, I was afraid because I could get robbed and with the money and, and so on, but still people do it and, and it really worked. And right now, Mercado Libre is more like a, it, it shifted like more to an Amazon kind of side, no? uh, where you have like the, you know, the sellers where they offer the products. Most of the products are new, um, but still you can sell your used laptop or your used bicycle on Mercado Libre. The thing is that right now, like, Everything is going like through their ecosystem. So you will like ship it in a box and, and send it directly to the, to the buyer. And I think like Mercado Libre was really successful because of that. They, they, they went for something that was really massive in, in, in Latin America. Uh, and they could scale it like really, really, really fast and, and easy. You know, it, it took them like many years, but they, they did it like consistently, consistently and they did it really well. Uh, regarding Rappi. Uh, what I what I, well, Rabbi for me is like a, also a, a really a really good story. Um, I I was working before Rabbi was working in a pharmaceutical company, you know, so it was like more in the kind of uh, traditional kind of business. Uh, I started working there, and and, I, and my my first job was to interview people in the pharmacies. So 
these pharmaceutical companies from Mexico, they mostly they sell OTC products and, uh, and, and also cosmetical products. And they were, we were just launching and there was a lot of TV going on on, on like for, because of the like main driver of, uh, was publicity. So I was on, on the pharmacies and I was interviewing people like one people grab the, if, if, if someone grabbed the, the cream, the Goicochea cream, which was one of the products that we were sell that we were selling. I, I was, I was going to that, to that person and were ask, asking him like, why did you buy? Why did you get it? Why did you buy it? Where do you saw, do you saw it on TV? Someone recommended it was, that was my first job there. And like six or seven years later, uh, and regarding Argentina, and I, I want to talk about that, this because it's really important. Uh, I was working uh, in, in, in Genoma Lab as well, in this pharmaceutical company. Uh, and I was in charge of like, uh, su supplying the products, like doing all the, I was buying the, the ingredients, I was buying the, the materials and everything to produce, uh, these creams in, in, in Argentina. One year ago, we were importing them directly from Mexico. But we couldn't do it anymore because the government changed the laws and everything. So we started like a, a whole new team to starting developing these products in Argentina, like something that didn't exist yet. We created in about, I don't know, six months or so. Uh, so there were people traveling to Mexico, seeing the factories in Mexico, trying to replicate the same in Argentina and so on. And I was part of that team. Uh, the, the correct term is procurement in, in, uh, in English. Uh, well, I was starting with that, developing the products and as well. And, well, during this, during this period, it was like six months. We were, we were producing, I don't know if we were importing, I don't know, a hundred SKUs. We were like producing six months later, we were producing 20 or 30 in Argentina, which was really well, really, really, really good, a really good and fast thing that we did. And on January, 2014, uh, the, the government devaluated the peso like 30% mm. like from one day to the other. So everything got like much expensive. All the, we were producing, but it got really, really expensive. So, and, and all, all of our suppliers were telling me, look, like this bottle uh, for, the, for the shampoo that was, I don't know, $1, now it's one one thirty. <laughs> from one day to the other. Uh, and we couldn't like translate that to prices because people were earning the same amount of money that they did like last month. Uh, and at that time, I was, I was 23 years old. Uh, and I was like taking care of all, like all this, uh, all this negotiation with our supplier. I was the main, I was directly negotiating, negotiating with each supplier. Uh, my boss at the time was on a maternity leave. So she wasn't there. Uh, she, she just got to, like, uh, her kid was born, like, I don't know, 10 days before. Oh my God. Uh, it was, I was alone. Like I was mostly alone in Argentina, like handling this situation no? So. I remember like getting, like calling like my 20 or 30 suppliers to the office and telling them, look, I know this situation. I know what's going on, uh, but I need, I need you to like, I, I need your support. I know, I know that I'm new, but I need your support. Like I know that 30% of many of your things are, are more expensive, but let's do something. Like, open your cost. Like, tell me like how much less the US dollar in like is the incidence on your cost. And I, and applied the 30% there. And it was like a 30, 40, 50%, depending on the, depending on the supplier. So we started negotiating, negotiating, and like, we, we, we get to a point that we, uh, everything instead of like getting 30% more expensive, but like 
eight, ten, twelve percent. No, and I, I wanted to to tell you this story because I think that is something that that happens to all the entrepreneurs. Like yes, every day in Argentina. No, like it's like something common that these kind of things happen. And I, I at the time I was twenty three years old, but I, I know guys now that are forty or fifty years old that had this situation. Like maybe multiple times. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. twenty times. Yeah, because and it and it isn't only entrepreneurs in Argentina who deal with that. There, there are you know every entrepreneur will go through wild swings. But what you're saying is that like be, the government adds a whole new layer, which is that it's chaotic and and it, it can just happen in the mi middle of a, a moment where it adds a whole new layer that is much makes it much likelier to go through those swings that can either destroy a company or even make it too because mm -hmm. there's opportunities in those in those moments as well. Um, and actually, like. Uh, I, I would I would like to understand why, because it happened it happened in the last month or two months ago where Argentina also devalued their currency, and it's somehow related to the hyperinflation because um, they they took it from uh, 200 pesos in the official rate to 350 pesos to the official rate that and the official rate for my listeners is is the one you go to to get it out of your bank account. Um, and so why 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 do they devalue the currency and what what effect does that have on the businesses? It was less. It was like I think at two sixty to three fifty at, at the moment. Uh, in that case, although it was it was like a thirty percent, so was, or twenty something percent. I think it was like twenty two or twenty five percent, something like that. Uh, at that time, although although the market already discounted it, like people knew that the like the yeah. like that the, 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 like that exchange rate of two hundred and fifty or two hundred and sixty was like completely like behind of what the reality was. No, so they knew it was coming. It was, that impact wasn't that big, no? Uh, and it came like just like after the elections. Like everybody knows like the after the elections, uh, something will happen. And, and right now this is happening the same, no? That was the primary election. Right now, we have the general elections on, on Sunday. And now people know that, of course, there's going to be an, another, an, an, another, big, another big change in the exchange rate because you have like the, the official rate, which is 365. Uh, and you have the unofficial one, which is one thousand. So it's like three times, uh, three times like the the official one. Like originally, like for the last couple of I don't know ten years or twelve years, when we have like these two kind of two types of uh, of exchange rates, most of the time it's like the official one is half the unofficial one. No, like that's like the like what people know, like the tendency. You know, so. I think that right now the official will be like five hundred or six hundred mm, okay. on the on the next on on the next change, but still it's behind. It's behind what the, like the reality it's saying us. No, so uh, and that is also a big problem for the economy. No, because you have like all all the importations get it are like cheaper because you can like import really cheap, and if you want to export, like. It's, it's not that if you you want to export it, you want them to pay you one thousand for for the dollar, no six hundred or five hundred or. Oh, okay, wait, wait. Let so me, wait. yeah, let me uh, make that clear for my listeners. So, so, so there's two rates. There's the official alert rate, and then there's the unofficial rate. And the the official rate, if you're importing something, the only rate that you're going to be able to get is the is the official rate. Uh, and if you're exporting it, all those foreign suppliers will need to translate their monies through the official rate unless you do it illegally. Is that ac accurate? Exactly. But if you have a company, you can do it illegally. Like the, the, the unofficial rate is like if, for us, if you want to go and buy 
$200, like you can go and with it. Uh, but it's not that a, that a company can like go to that, to that black market because uh, everything is like, you have to do it like on the, on the, on the right way. Yeah. Because you're, you're Effective. part of the organization. You have, you have all your business, you have all your employees, you have your taxes and all of those things need to be done according to what the government says, basically. Okay. Yeah. So that also will like, yes, like it will make like, it's not an incentive to export and it's not an ex incentive to produce in Argentina. It's not, it's like whole, the other way around. Yeah. And that, and that generates a, 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 a big, big problem. And okay. And so, so, and they're devaluing the currency because, uh, well, why would the government devalue the currency? Like what's that motivation to, to essentially like say this, this, the currency isn't no longer working. It, it, I mean, obviously there's the, the supply and demand mostly, uh, like you have a, the, if Argentina has a, like, uh, uh, Fiscal uh, deficits, how you call it in, yeah, in that's right. right. How you say it in English? Deficit, fiscal, that's correct. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So yep. when they have a, when you have a fiscal deficit, what, what you do most of the, like what Argentina is doing is they're printing more money uh, to pay for that, like to pay for salaries, to pay for, uh, I don't know, a highway or whatever. Um, and also you have like the, you have like all the like the public transport, which is subsidized. That, and, and, and that is also like something that you have to pay. Um, so when you, when you start printing money, like money starts becoming less worth, worthless. And when it becomes worthless, like your exchange rate, uh, starts to start, starts to go up. Like your money becomes more, uh, less valuable. That's, that's the reason. And so, and so they need to devalue the currency in order to come back to a closer point. Uh, so that they can accurately reflect, well, okay, no, it's also because there's also an incentive to do that because I imagine that they, um, uh, they are, they owe a lot of money as well. And so because the government owes a lot of money, they also want to devalue that owing money because then all of a sudden they owe less based on how much they're printing. It's like a vicious cycle. I know the United States is somewhat going mm -hmm. through it as well, right? Exactly. Yes. Most of the countries right now have debt. Uh, Argentina has like an international debt, uh, and it also has like an, an internal debt, which is like um, the, uh, the, the fiscal, like, um, the fiscal debt. And you have like those two kinds of debts. One, if one of them is in pesos and one, uh, and the external one, of course, is in, in us dollars. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, that, that's another layer. Cause that's the other layer here, which is that there's an informal economy of dollars, uh, where in other examples of, of, of hyperinflation or just really high inflation, there hasn't been like a, a steady supply of dollars that, that is kind of like in this black market as well, which is adds other, other elements to it that are like, uh, that are very strange because now if I want to save in dollars, if I'm an Argentinian and I want to save in dollars, I can just go to the black market and buy us dollars and like their physical us dollars and save in those us dollars basically. Exactly. Which in Argentina is like known. Because like they say, the Argentinians, like they store their, their dollars, uh, below their mattress, uh, because nobody trusts like in the, in the financial institutions. So they, they all like have them in like, you know, in their houses, mm. uh, and they all have, they all, they all have like the, the dollar, not in a bank account. Uh, uh and that's due because 
many things happened. That, that last one was in 2001, uh, when a lot of when a lot of people got their 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 all their savings from of a lifetime. They had it in in US dollars in a bank uh, or in pesos, which at that time was uh, one. The, the exchange rate uh, during the 90s was one to one, and and many people lost a lot of money because of that. Uh, because then, like they devaluated, and if you had, I don't know, one thousand pesos after the devaluation, those or one thousand dollars, they were worth two hundred or three hundred from one day to the other. Um, yes, so people don't trust like the financial institutions. So when they know trust, like there's a, a lot of informal things going on, and also uh, people and businesses don't want to invest in Argentina because uh, the like the. Uh, the, the the rules are not that clear. So if you're a foreigner, like you say, look, Argentina, well, you have, a, I don't know, a population of 48 million, yep. uh, big G GDP, good GDP per capita, good education and what so on. But then like, but all the other things are not that clear. Yeah. Uh, it makes it difficult. That when, when we started in, in Rabi, that, that was a thing. Uh, but at that time, there was a, another government, uh, which was like really, really, uh, trying and and looking for these like foreigner investments, so yeah. we had it a, a little bit easier uh, at that time because due to that, meaning that like uh, I don't know, starting the starting the um, the business, the society, on all the legal stuff uh, was was really easy at the time. Interesting. Uh, perhaps right now it's a little bit more more difficult, uh, and there was also like a uh, they were like incentivizing people to to invest so so that that made it that that made it like really easy at, for for us at that time uh, and another thing that happened in argentina when i started in rapi which was in 2017 is that like we had mercado libre no mercado libre was like our like big startup at the time there were also like others like globant as well which is a really big company in in argentina but maybe it doesn't have like that much impact like in your daily life uh, because they do other kind of things, uh, and also they have a lot of clients from abroad, so they work for other clients in in, in other countries in the world. And it, of course, there are a lot of people, a lot of talent from Argentina working in Globant, but it's not like like a big impact for for your daily life. And I thought that Rabi was going to be like a really big impact in in the in the daily life life of every Argentinian, no? Because it was like a whole ecosystem where you had like the restaurants. They were gonna they were gonna start like offering a new services. They're gonna they were going to do delivery, uh, and they were going to like earn more money. You had people like the people like the maybe like in that time was informal economy or people like that were coming uh, to find new opportunities in 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 Buenos from from other countries or from uh, or from Argentina but from other cities that could have like a they could start with a job. Like just like registering with their phone, and they can just like start earning money like from one day to the other, uh, and and start doing like, uh, or they could be shoppers in a supermarket, or they could be riding their their motorbikes and delivering orders. Uh, so that that also, I thought that was like a really really big really big impact. And on the other side, you had like the whole all the all the users, no people from who are were in their houses. Uh, and of course, you could you could order the supermarket before Rappi uh, online, but it would take I don't know forty eight hours. Uh, or you could order a pizza or a sushi or a, an ice cream, 
uh, in Argentina by using your phone. But everything at that time was like much more different, like it, it, it is now, no? It, it changed dramatically. Uh, and, and like seeing that opportunity for me for like changing your daily life for me was like really, really important. Uh, and I think that we did a big, big change uh, at, at the time. And right now, like after the pandemic and so on, it's like right now in Argentina, you can order like a Coca-Cola with a water, with a banana, with a sneaker. And pharmaceuticals. And yeah. In yeah. Pharmaceuticals. And you can receive everything in like less than 30 minutes in your house. Uh -huh. Uh, it was something that it didn't happen and you can like track your order online and everything that for Argentina, like we all, we always like used to travel, we, we travel to the States or we travel to Europe and we said, no, you see that in the States, you can do this or in Europe, you can do this. And Rabbi was like bringing all of that, like in three months to Argentina, no? And it was something that it didn't exist. Uh, you can order Mercado Libre at that time, but it didn't took like. 24 hours like it's now uh, like like the standard it took 72 hours 96 hours you didn't know where your order was it was and it wasn't that long ago eh? it was like five six years ago uh right now it seems like it was like 10 or 15 and it's like five uh it wasn't that long ago and it's wild uh, and, it's, and it's all advancing and it, uh, and and there's so much we could talk about i, I mean i'd love to hear like where what your experience was like for Rappi because I've I randomly talking of going back to that uh I forget the term in Argentine Spanish you said uh the tiene la calle adentro or something what well, what's the what's the what's tiene calle tiene calle uh I was just walking around to go get some water and then I had my t-shirt uh from Invisible on um which is the company I'm working for and then I'm going to get some water and then uh, I um open the refrigerator and I hear Oh, trabajas for, for Invisible? Uh, you work for Invisible? Uh, and then I turn around, I'm just like, man, there's no way that we have this many coworkers in Argentina. How do they know what Invisible is? We're invisible inside of Silicon Valley. How did it? And, and I turn around and it's this guy, big smile on his face. Um, and he knew Nico as well. Uh, and he just started a conversation with me. We went up to get coffee. And so, uh, and so, oh man, there's a point at what, why I was, why I was bringing that up. Um, uh, Oh yeah, he said that you had basically you were the key key man uh, for Rappi, getting Rappi off the ground in Argentina. And for my listeners who don't know about Rappi, again, Rappi was a, started by a Colombian guy. I think his name is Simon. Um, in in, in Simon Borrero. Borrero. Uh, yeah, Sebastian Mejia. Uh huh. Sebastian Mejia and Felipe Villamarín. And all three of them were Colombian, right? Yes, all three of them are Colombian. And then they, they, and a quick expansion, like it happened really quickly. And I think the first one was Mexico. They really wanted to go after Mexico, but really kind of like this blue ocean opportunity in terms of a delivery all over the Latin America, huge market. And I know from my time in Brazil that it was pretty big, although it's getting battered pretty, pretty hard as well. Um, and Argentina, uh, thanks to you kind of got, got it running up in here, but also kind of battered as well from Petitos, Petitos, yeah. Which is a, I think, an Argentine startup that's that's doing. No, it. it's from Uruguay. Oh, from Uruguay. It's from Uruguay. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, also, the founders are, and oh. they are they are from Uruguay, and, and it started yeah. in Uruguay. Of course, the second market, I think, it was Argentina due to proximity and also like similarities and also the of the size of the market. Interesting. Uh, and uh, yeah, and Benito so, was right. It was 
long before Rappi in Argentina. Okay. Like okay. I would say like six years or five years before. Uh-huh. And, uh, but when we started, they, they only were like, a, they were only a marketplace and they didn't have like the, the, the delivery on, on, on their site. Like you could order a pizza and, and that order will, uh, will get to a restaurant and the, the restaurant will deliver that order with their own, with their own writers. Uh, didn't have like all this, like uh, infrastructure and technology with, of the, uh, of the repartidores, like uh, the people who did the, the deliveries. Uh, and, and at the time we, we launched, they, they started doing it uh-huh. like right, right at the, at the same time. Wow. So it was a, yeah. and, and it's the same thing with, um, Brazil too, because Brazil has a local competitor called iFood. Um, iFood. Yes. That's almost basically the same story because iFood has been around for a long time and then it was this huge clash between Rappi and iFood. So now I'm finding out that it is the same thing between this and Petitos Ya as well, right? Exactly. Yes, iFood was also in Brazil way before Rappi and also way before Uber Eats because also in, in, in Brazil, uh, Uber Eats also was there. Yes, interesting. Uh, and I remember uh, they, they left Brazil in, I think, like three or four years ago. 2021, I remember I was, because I was in Brazil in 2020, I was using Uber Eats for, uh, uh, and then I had, had Rappi on my phone because I was in Colombia before that. And I remember in Colombia with all the Venezuelans had come to Colombia to start working for uh, Rappi as bicyclists. You'd see them everywhere. Um, and then in, when I went to Brazil in 2020, then there was the, the, the Uber Eats was there and then the Uber Eats left uh, because the market was basically had been won by either iFood or, or Rappi and Uber, Uber, Uber itself as a company was going through huge struggles. So they, they basically scaled back, which is so interesting. Cause it's like back in like 2016, I'm sure you felt it when you were working for Rappi, like the, the, it was so bullish on these food delivery systems, but then they turned out to be really, really hard businesses. Um, can you, can you explain more about how hard they are? Like how hard it is to do food delivery? Uh, yes, <laughs> it's really hard in in the sense like there there are many things that are hard. Uh, we can start like on the hardest one of all is like it's an operation that is twenty four seven, and when people are hungry, they want their food, and they get at pissed. that time. You, and they get pissed. you cannot fail. Yeah. On, you cannot fail on that. Like uh, if you don't get your hamburger in at least in, in more than if you get it in more than forty or forty five minutes, you will get pissed because. Uh, perhaps it will arrive and it's, it's not going to be hot, it's going to be cold, uh, it's going to be ugly. Uh, so, like, everything is, like, has to be perfect to work on that. Uh, and as well, you have, like, you have many live orders all the time, no? And every, every one of them has to be perfect at the same time. Uh, it's not that, oh, no, I, I, I delivered 80% of them really, really well. And the other 20, you know, I exceeded 60 minutes. Yeah, but th- those... 20% that you exceeded 60 minutes, they hate you. They hate you. So it's like, that part is like really, really difficult. Uh, so I think like having the correct, and, and, and there you have to manage three things. You have to manage people. If you have like the writers, but there's no demand, they go, they're going to leave. Gonna, uh, they, they can be connected one day or two days, but the third day, they're leaving. They're, they don't know, oh, there's no work. I, I don't want to be connected here. I'm wasting my time. So you have to have, you have to have demand in order to have that. But if you exceed the demand, then you have, we have you will have a problem because if you exceed demand of of, of orders, then you don't have the, the correct supply for them. Uh, uh, 
people that are going to be pissed. And as well, you have the restaurants that the restaurants, they, they are, they do delivery, but they also have their people that are like ordering in the tables at the same time. Most of 80% of the restaurants, all, they have like the delivery, but they are also delivering order, orders for people that are there. And sometimes they don't prioritize the ones in the delivery because they don't see them. They don't have like the, perhaps the skin in the game of like, oh, this guy's hungry and so on. And they take more time than they should. Uh, and also people get pissed on the other side. Uh, so it, it's a difficult business. We, we, we had to do a lot of education for, for the restaurants. Uh, we also started our kitchens in order for restaurants to have like a, a kitchen exclusive for doing uh, online, uh, online orders. Um, that, that helped a lot. Uh, and on the other side of the business, it's also like a, it's really, really hard to operate, operate in terms of like, there's not a, there's not a big amount of money Rappi or Peyosha or iFood earns because low margins, low margins. The take rate is 20%, more or less 50, 20, 25%, depending if it's a grocery order or a restaurant order, but the, the average order value is like really low. You can say that in, in, in Latin America, would be like $50, $20, $10. So you're doing one order and you're earning one or $2 and you have like, you have people that have to get the supply, people who have to get uh, all the offer, people who also have to create demand. So there's a big marketing team uh, and so on. And everything has to function perfectly. Uh, so I would say like, it's one of the harshest business uh, in the world. I loved it. I, I used to love working in Rappi at that time. Uh, I, I remember like launching Buenos Aires in the first days and technology at that, that, that time in Rappi didn't work that well. Uh, and we used to send a coupon. I was, I was like giving away something so that we can, because we had, I don't know, 30 or 40 riders waiting for orders. And that coupon maybe sometimes works, didn't work and people didn't use it. And sometimes it exploded your demand. And I, I don't know, you had like, 200 live orders. I'm saying like second week of happy, yeah? like we were very, very small. And you only have like 40 or 30 persons, 30 people connected to do the, those orders. So I remember like getting into it. Like I was, I, did I you remember to, one day when, did I you will never forget this. Yeah, I delivered more than 100 orders in Rappi, <laughs> for sure. More, more, maybe, maybe 200. Yes. Uh, I remember the day I was like, I was, I don't know, it was like 8.30 or 9 p.m. I was, I just got, I went to the office, to my house. I went for a like 30 minutes jog because I, I needed to do some exercise. I was like burned out. And I got my phone when I arrived and I, I was saying like, uh, well, we have like 250 orders right now and we only, only have like 30, 30 oh, delivery guys. I said, oh, fuck. And the first thing I, I, I did was I, I got into my car uh, and I didn't have the, the app of the, of the, of the delivery guy. So I was talking with, with some random guy in Colombia that was saying, look, you have this, I was on the phone, like you have this order that is from, I think it was Rapanui or Roma, Romario, which is a pizza. Uh, you have to get it and deliver it there. And it was, I was like two or three hours, like driving like crazy in Buenos Aires. <laughs> Delivering disorders. Uh, and that happened many, many times in Buenos Aires, in Cordoba, in Rosario, in all the cities that I launched. Uh, like at the beginning, you have like 
you have to coordinate very well, like your supply and your demand. And it wasn't that easy. Uh, but the good thing is that it, I, w I wasn't the only one delivering orders. Uh, I, at that time, we were like 20 or 30 people in the team. And I think like six or seven or eight were doing the same thing at the same time. Uh, so we, there was also like a sense of like, uh, well, like delivering the order is like the most important thing. We cannot fail on these users and we're going to do it like no matter what. Uh, and I think that was like really important, like working as a team and, uh, to, to make it, to make it happen. And I, and I think that that was one of the things that was like most success, successful of Rabi uh, worldwide. Didn't happen only in Argentina. Uh, I think that in Argentina, we like, we took it like, uh, like really properly what perhaps happened sometime before in Colombia or sometime before in Mexico. And we said like, well, we're going to do this that way, no? And we, this is our culture, and we're gonna do it the same way, uh, or or in, or better. Uh, I think those those kind of things in Rapi were really really important. And the other thing was also like getting the cor the correct supply, no, like getting the correct restaurants at the right right time. Uh, doing like Pedioshell when we started, they had a lot of, as I told you before, they they were like a. A service where you can order pizza. Uh, they were for pizza, some hamburgers, and maybe ice. But uh, as they were targeting restaurants that they, they had the, their own delivery guys, they couldn't have like the whole offering of the city because many of the perhaps the high end or the or the cool restaurants didn't have their delivery. They they were in, interested in that. So when we started, we saw that in in Bellosai, we had two thousand restaurants, maybe or so in Buenos Aires. But they were all like crappy. Like they were, they were good. They big, big, big on. You can order there once a week if you want a pizza. But if you want to do it like every day, if you think I, I want to eat in Rabi or or in Bia every day, you don't. You really had that because you only had like the junk food. Uh, so we started targeting like, well, we're gonna get like a three or four bests of I don't know ice creams, and we got this. We got Rapanui. Rapanui was like the. Right now, it's a really famous brand. They have the Franui, which is a strawberry. Uh, no, not a strawberry. Sorry, a raspberry, with uh, which which is like covered in white chocolates and in uh, and in chocolate in the brown brown chocolate, like both chocolates. It's an amazing product. Did you try it? No, I haven't. I haven't tried it. This is a local Argentine. Local Argentine. You should try it. Franui is like the best. Great. And I remember when I was before studying in Rapi, in May 2017, it was a rainy, rainy day in Buenos Aires, and I was I want to have I want to have a Franui and I want to have an ice cream. And I remember like calling Rapi, saying, "Look, hello, do you do delivery? No, we don't. Well, we do, but we have like a radius of I don't know two uh, twenty blocks." And I was like, "Fuck, I want this." And I remember like going on a rainy day there. I was like, I wanted it in my house at that time. I didn't want to go out and and so on. So, so I met with the, I met with, I, I, I the first thing I, I, I did when I started Ruby was like getting in contact with Diego Fenolio, which is the founder uh, of, of Rabanui, because I wanted them like for sure. And it was a crazy hit. Like people were crazy because of the ice cream and because of the Franuis. Uh, uh, it's a product that is like really like, uh, I don't know how to say it in, in English, but it's something like it's a, a really good antojo. Like I want something sweet. And I want it now. Yeah, you want you want that. So perfect. For perfect. Rabi, that was yes. like, yeah, thirty minutes delivery. If you had that in thirty minutes, was 
And, and we started with a campaign, like 35 minutes or free. Uh, and then we started with an influencer as well, which was called Stephanie Demner, uh, which started also like promoting the front wing and people got crazy. And like, we started like scaling really, really, really fast. Uh, most, mostly was because of that product it was like at the, t- at the at one moment was like 40% of our, uh, of our orders. <laughs> wow. Uh, and in the pandemic, this is a, 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 a nice fact. In 2020, uh, McDonald's had in Rappi, I don't know, like 120 stores live in all the, in all the provinces. I would say Cordoba, Rosario, Buenos Aires, 120 stores. And for, uh, in Rapanui had 11 or 12. They saw in, in May 2020, Rapanui sold uh, more. Um, uh, than, than all the McDonald's combined <laughs> in Buenos Aires, specifically in Buenos Aires or all over in Argentina, in, Ar- in Argentina, Argentina. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. comparing like the 120 stores, Argentina yeah, to 12 yeah. in, I think most of them are in Buenos Aires. We sold more than in that McDonald's. Were you in at Rappi during the pandemic? Yes. I started in July, 2017. Wow. Uh, and I left last year. Well, okay. And this, this goes into my former point, point. We got about uh, ten, five, 10 minutes left. So, uh, I, I, I was interested as you were talking, how, how hard of a business this is, cause it's not only hard for Rappi, it's not only hard in Latin America, it's also hard in the United States. It's the same, same constraints on the business. Uh, and it feels like a VC funded business that was funded to the max when it should have been a sort of like a business that was bootstrapped or whatever everywhere. But because of the low interest rates and the, you know, basically free VC money was just poured into it and subsidized and nobody had any idea of what these margins were be and whether they were actually real businesses or not, but they scaled so quickly that now they are really businesses. And to a similar extent, Uber also exists like that. And Airbnb also exists like that. And it's sort of like, okay, well, are they good businesses? Who knows? Um, and, and so what you were saying about, uh, the pandemic is really interesting because you, 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 you saw this whole business as it was going. Um, and then, uh, like, what do you think? Is it, is it, is it a real business? Um, I think it could be a real business. Um, like you have to set up outside, like some things before long. Of course, there's a lot of money invested there. So you have a lot of investors perhaps that enter like on C, D, E rounds. Uh, you, you're, you're seeing it right now with, with Instacart in yes. which did the, the IPO like two, three, two or three weeks ago. Like the guys that started at the beginning with the Series A or B and, and I think also C, they, they made money on their, they made a return on their investment. Yeah. The guys that entered later, they didn't. Uh, and I think like that three or four years ago when they did that investment or two years ago, they were saying, look, this is going to be a good investment. Of course, as well as you, as you were saying, like the interest rates at the time were different. So like every guy on earth was like trying to maximize their investment. No. So right now you, uh, you can get it in, uh, uh, you can invest, uh, you have, you have it in your bank and you will have uh, like a four, four or 5% interest rate at the time. It was zero, one. So everyone was like trying to maximize their investment. So many LPs were like instigating this, instigating this. Uh, 
also Rumpy at the time or, or Instagram, many of the things that people thought that they're going to be valuable for was like all the amount of information, yeah, data, customer yeah. data, and so on. I think that right now it's, it's not important. So that also has like also downgraded like some of their of their value. Um, I think they could be profitable, like in terms of like unit economic profitable, uh, because there are ways like where you, where like if you have your user base and you're not investing that much money uh, on a, on acquisition, uh, you can like if and you have you have like your your base, you can you I think you can earn money and it but it will depend mostly on on the market, uh, and and it also will depend like if you have competition or not. No, if you're like if you're the if you're the the only one in the market and you have like the the monopoly of the market of food delivery or grocery delivery, it's gonna be much easier uh, because you you can charge service fee, you can charge like a different take rates and so on, and those and those there, there you're gonna be have an actual business. It's not a business where where you can compete. It's not a business for, where you can compete because if you start competing, uh, then there's like really it's really really difficult to earn money. Uh, and I think also that like one one of the good things that are, that Rap is doing right now is like focusing also in, on groceries, where in groceries you can have a, a you have a a, a a lower take rate, but you have a much higher average or value. Uh, so so that works really well, and they are also focusing on on advertising, uh, where they can like say, well, we have all these restaurants. Uh, but if you wanna if you wanna be in a, in a better position, you 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 can you can pay. Uh, and you can be in a, in a, in a better position. And, and that's also a way to, to earn more money. That's super. Um, I think that in the States, also the companies will, are going to be much more valuable in, than in Latin America, mainly due to the market, mainly due to the market. Um, um, and I, I don't think so, like in the, at least for the, last, for the next five years, that this kind of businesses are going to... Uh, I'm gonna start like from scratch again, like yeah, uh, due to the interest rates and due to those kind of factors. I think that there there's gonna be no, no new businesses of this kind for the next five years or ten years until we have self-driving cars, and then then uh, then that and, yes, and the self-driving cars will change a lot, mostly for 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 Uber for Uber. Uh, I think that for Uber uh, they they will change a lot, uh, and. If if they if and I think that also other companies will start doing uh, rides, like I don't know, maybe I don't know, Tesla can also offer a ride. Like if you if you already have like driverless cars, why not? Or even have your driverless car and like have it like uh, transporting people while while you are sleeping. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I think that that would change a lot. Nice. Uh, so, uh, and now last couple of minutes, what are you working on now? Uh, well, right now, Rappi was amazing. Uh, I think that it was a, like a, an amazing experience when I, at that time, when I started, I was 27 years old. So I was, my, 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 my main drive at that, that time was like to, to learn, to grow, uh, to meet new people. Uh, right now, six years later. I well, I'm start. I'm I had my first kid three three months ago, uh, so my priorities are a little are are changing a little bit. 
Uh, and like one year ago, I, I, I told to myself, look, like the, right now is the moment to, to build something for you uh, and build like a, a tangible business, no? a brick and mortar business where you can uh, buy something, make it better and sell it. Uh, so I'm working right now in, I'm, I'm going, I'm working with a, with a partner and, uh, we're importing, uh, construction materials, uh, uh, from China to Argentina. Uh, we're working on that on the following months. Uh, there are new kinds of, there are many, there are many advances in technology in the, in, in the constructions. So we, we're going to bring this that is, uh, completely, completely new. It's really easy to, to install. Uh, the the look and feel of the product is amazing, uh, and I, I think that in Argentina is going to be a construction boom for the following years. Uh, it's it's happening right now. If, if yeah, you, if you are seeing see it, it, you can see that uh, like every blog you will see a building that is that is getting under construction. Yeah. Uh, so I'm working on that side. I mean, I'm 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 an entrepreneur, but like a little bit away of the of the technological or or the yeah. Uh, Silicon Valley kind of, kind of investment. Uh, uh, so what's that called? If, uh, if my listeners want to check you out or, and so what's that called and where can people find you? Uh, well, we don't have our, our webpage right now, but it will be arkiwall.com. A-R-K-K-I-Wall.com. Um, we're starting, we're going to have our first container in Argentina in about 45 days or so. Which is uncertain as well, no? Because maybe the exchange rate is, I don't know, 1,500 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then where can <laughs> people find out you? Are you on Twitter or LinkedIn or your email? I, I'm in Twitter, uh, Lucas Asad. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, the same name, Lucas Asad. Uh, and you can also find me in LinkedIn, LinkedIn. If you want to contact me directly, my email is asad, Lucas at gmail.com. Great. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, III. Also, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes for every weekly episode that I publish on Monday mornings. Hope you have a great day.